0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 69 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we ask what piece of advice
2: your horse would give you. Breed of the show is the guinea pig. In Critter Nutrition, we focus on environmental consciousness for the sea otters, and we read chapter two of the book, Dr. Doolittle. Join us. All I want to say is, Patty P., it is bloody hot.
1: <laughs> I'm getting blamed a lot for this. I'm just going to say, when I first moved back, everybody blamed me for the rain. Now they're blaming me for the heat. <laughs> getting You're a pretty of powerful bean. <laughs> I'm something, yeah. I um, I have to tell you, I just got back from Dallas late Sunday, got off the plane, and thought, it is totally hotter here than it was in Texas. I mean, the humidity, it's just, it's been really bad.
3: I just, it, I don't remember it being its bad. Never, I mean, I knew get it's bad never
2: August. been this bad in September.
3: Yeah, I guess it, is my yeah. Okay. So well, it's it my I've been
2: 33 years. Yeah. So let's blame it on you. <laughs>
1: Well, at least it's not raining anymore. So, um, <laughs> no, it's been it's been incredible. I, you know, my attempt, uh, one of my number one things that I wanted to do when I moved here was not do so many horses a day, a day. And today we did nine. And at one point I just kept thinking, I can't keep doing this. This <laughs> is really hard. But you know, this too so off. I mean, it's going to do this for what like, maybe a couple more days, and then yeah, maybe you know, most beautiful part of the season. So. And but it's, it's been a long
2: two two plus weeks heat wave. That's a long heat yeah, wave for it, was, you.
1: it is, yeah. I think they call that heat hell. That's not a wave. <laughs> heat <laughs> tsunami. Be term for that. Yeah, yeah. Heat tsunami. That's it. I think we just pegged a new one. Yeah. And so Jennifer, how is been, it in Florida? Been.
4: It is sweltering in Florida as we record episode sixty nine of the Healthy Critters Radio. But there are <laughs> glimmers of hope in that we will have a several hours every few days or so hmm. where it's pleasant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that when it's really, is that from like, is that from
1: like 12 to one 30? Yeah. A- 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 yeah. M, yeah. I was, yes,
2: was going to say five to six 30 AM.
4: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's usually I right have, when the sun comes up. Yeah. About an hour and a half after the sun yeah. comes up, it starts to get pretty miserable and yeah. Yeah. And we've been getting rain like crazy. So, uh, the mosquitoes are out, so this mm. is Mother Nature's last cruel trick Hurrah. before the gorgeous winter yeah. shows up here in Florida. Yeah,
1: that's true. That is true.
4: That well, is true. I,
2: well I, I'm attributing it to global warming. You know, we need to oh start. My God, getting it's not stores. me though.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just am so glad to have it off my shoulders.
2: <laughs> <laughs> true, it's a yeah. big burden to yeah. bear for one person. It is. it is i was beginning
4: to wonder (laughs) yeah so the lesson there is don't put away your fly masks fly sheets and fly spray yet people
2: no yeah no and i noticed that the b-52 bombers are so aggressive right now
3: well again those big horse flies jesus
0: yeah in four years
1: and um and it's so funny because you know I walk the horses in the beginning of the ride and I walk them afterwards, and it's just like it's they all sit wherever they come from and they go, oh look, she's out again with a really big one. Let's go get her, you know. And then it's like the horses are like, this is no fun. They're coming into the indoor now. No. It's, and I'm yeah. Oh no, they were chasing a horse that I was lunging today, and I thought this is just sad. But it's their last, ditch, you know. They're they're trying to get what they can, yeah. Before they go away, so.
2: Not soon. Yes. And we'll be in beautiful autumn, which is just perfect riding weather. And happy weather. It
1: is. And happy weather. It's true. Even though it's been hot, I've been pretty happy. So I can't I can't really can't complain there.
2: Well, I um it's been such a shock coming back from Alaska to this that um I've kept my outside activities really limited.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when you're inside, like, you know you know, reading a book or coming up with something. Well, working, and then I have to walk yeah, outside. So, yeah.
2: It's like walking into a blast furnace.
1: And even yeah, well, the dogs realize, are like,
2: I, oh, just let me out and let me go to the bathroom. I want to back in yeah. the
1: fan. Well, I just want you to realize when you're out there for that brief second, I've probably been out there for eight hours.
2: <laughs> I am, I, you know, I'm bowing to you, although you can't see it. I am literally mm-hmm. bowing to you.
1: For well, your, okay, thanks. You <laughs> Okay, now I feel better. I'm done whining.
2: <laughs> Wait till the winter comes; then that's a whole new set of
1: wines. <laughs> oh my! Well, we'll be in Florida, so <laughs> let's not worry about that. Well, I'm ready for the. Ch- I really am ready for the change of season, and I do. Yeah, I maybe. do like. I do like cold weather. I just don't like it for terribly long periods of time. There we go. Right. So that's that, why, that's why that's the why seasons they made, change when happened.
4: they do. Mother Nature created it at just the right amount of time. That just about the time Mm -hmm. we're sick and tired of summer, we get fall. Just about the time we're sick and tired of raking up leaves, it starts to snow. And just about the time we're really sick and tired of ice, we get green grass. And just about the time we're really sick and tired of mosquitoes and green grass, it turns into a sweltering desert. So, yeah, Mother Nature did that on purpose. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Well done. Yeah. Well, Mother Nature also um, didn't give our horses um, the English language to speak with. But... I thought it would be interesting if we talked about what piece of advice our horses would give us if they could speak to us in the English language. Mm. Mm. Jennifer?
4: Kind of like our story later. Hmm. I see how this ties in now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You did. Yeah. The light bulb just came on, didn't it, Patty? If he could give me advice, I think um, he would, he would first say, would you stop would you please let me investigate all these things he's one of those horses that when you're leading him around anywhere he must he he touch he perceives the world with his lips he's like a toddler mm. you know how toddlers have to shove everything in their mouth it's like really? oh yeah everything has to be bumped and tasted and pushed over with his giant head <laughs> and you can tell he's utterly frustrated when i won't let him do it it's like would you please come on i, I need to see what that is and I, well I it sounds like
1: his head's a big hand <laughs> well it is
4: yes he uses like it as hand. both a yeah. weapon and an investigative tool yeah
1: mm-hmm.
4: so i think that would be okay his, that's his uh, piece of advice is would you just please let me investigate whoop. my world i'll be with you in a minute
2: <laughs> it's good advice you know, that is good advice. When yeah. you take it when you take it out of the uh, equine context into the human context, that's good advice for all, <laughs> really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, my horse would be very succinct, <laughs> and his three words would be, or his two words would be, "Stop worrying." <laughs> um, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah
4: chill, man. Take a chill pal. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Just chill yeah. out. <laughs> That's good.
4: No worries. Just chill.
3: Just chill. Okay. Yeah. Patty, how about you? <laughs> well, <laughs> besides, please don't show up. <laughs> Why are we doing <laughs> this
1: again? Um, cause I, I have, a, <laughs> I can't believe we're doing that again. Um, well, mine's a baby and he's, um, a very big baby. And in fact. um, my my daughter has um, referenced him to Melman um, in Madagascar, the giraffe, because um, he's got a very long neck and he can you can telescope it up, and it's always just like, oh my god, did you see that over there? And then you go back around. He's like, oh my god, it's still there. He thinks that's he thinks that's pretty cool. So one of his things would be like, why can't we go over there again? <laughs> and I think the other thing would be, I don't understand. Why you're not giving me as many treats as you did in the beginning when you put that thing on my back? <laughs> Why <laughs> every and, and he's been incredibly good at breaking and actually um, a bit of a baby genius. I taught him to lunge by myself in an indoor without um, you know any panels or anything to teach him to turn. So he he picked on pretty pretty quickly. And then from that, like after I taught him to lunge in three days, I was like, all right, well we might as well do this. There a tarp, and I did that by myself with no help. So like he's really very like. You know, oh, well, let's do this. He really, you know, I quite good. So when we got to the point where we had the tack on, he was lunging and he was doing great, he was um, shockingly afraid of the mounting block because he's been, like, so good about everything. So what I did is I would put, you know, treats on the mounting block. I'd put, you know, a little carrot or whatever. Well, he's kind of smart. <laughs> and so every time we go over to the mounting block, he still looks for the treat. <laughs> but it got to the point where, like, again, remember he's like a giraffe. Once I would get the person on, you know, to walk him around, then he's like giraffing over me, trying to get another treat. So anyway, we stopped doing treats pretty quickly after he stopped being afraid. So I guess honestly, what he would say would be, where's the treat?
4: treat." He's holding up his end of the bargain. He's doing it. And you're not giving him the treat. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's he's like, so how do you translate
2: that into the larger context of your daily life?
1: I have to think about that. She um, slipped
4: that one in. That wasn't in the plan.
1: Yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah, she no goes I, making I, us I, think. for a second I, for a second there I thought that whole part of my thinking brain melted at I think twelve thirty <laughs> this morning or this time <laughs> this morning. Um I don't uh I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I honestly don't know how to answer that. Other than either I need to give more treats. <laughs> I need to stop giving treats. I don't
2: know. <laughs> I, I, I would I would look at it a different way. Um, at, think of treat as being you know an act of kindness or reward or. Oh
3: yeah, for sure. Okay, okay.
2: Um, so when your horse is saying "Where's the treat?", perhaps in the larger context of you know how we treat other beings.
3: Give well, everybody do, treat
4: You give them a hug or yes. a smile or a pat
1: on the back.
3: I got right. it. Well, I always I well, thank you. Yeah, I always like to.
1: Yeah, I always thank my horses. Um, any of them. When I say my horses, I mean the horses that I have in training. But I always, you know, um, I've never. I am not a big treat giver. No, um, I know you're not. Like. Um, I just, I believe the reward should be the relationship and padding and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But when, you know, when you do a lot of horses, I want them to be happy that I'm getting on their back. So I always give them a little something when I get on, um, you know, just say, okay, look what we're doing. And they, and we walk around just so they're, you know, as we're walking, they're like, God, oh, that tastes good. You know, that, that just, that's putting me in a good mood. And, um, but whenever I'm done, I always make sure that I, um, I always, I always pat them. I always like rub them all over. I always try to have, uh, you know, some part in being able to untack them because obviously when you do this many horses, you have to have great help. And I have really great help. Um, so, and if I can't do it, and this is something I learned from our, our good friend, um, PETA, uh, Tigger years ago, when I would go and, um, teach her at the, at her farm, It, it was adorable because she, um, and I don't know if she does it today to this extent, but I know she gives them cookies after she rides, but depending on how the day was, it would be a two cookie day or a three cookie day or a four cookie day. And it was just kind of cute, but like it was just, I, I loved that bridge of her always wanting to reward the horse for, um, how great their day was, but regardless of how it went, they always got a treat. It was always like a thank you for, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: for, for, you know, being a good horse, um, or, you know, my God, you know, every time I, I'm always so, it's so silly. I don't know how many horses I've broken my life. Um, I hate that term broke, but how many, yeah,
3: you started. Broke,
1: you know, you started. Um, but every time I do it, every time a person sits on their back for the first time, I am still floored. I, I mean, absolutely floored. Like I cannot believe you are letting us do this. You know, yeah. and that's why I always try so hard to make it so positive. So, well, and I, I think know. I think
2: um, my horse's advice is so pertinent, not just to me, but to a lot of us, that we we bring our worries to the barn, even mm-hmm. if it's not a worry directly about the horse, but it's a worry about work or family or friends or. Whatever. Oh, sure. Anything. And the horses are so sensitive, they just pick up on it. So um I, I've been much more mindful about leaving all that behind. And when I'm out at the barn, I just keep my head really like empty, you know, and in the moment. Yeah.
1: I try desperate. I think the older I get, the better I can I can do at that because I know that I have often been stressed about things and done a disservice to my ability to communicate, yeah, with wh- what I truly wanted to do with the horses, and I think, has, I mean, that's the one great thing about being the age I am right now is I truly am finally benefiting from my time on the planet mm-hmm. that I have. I'm, you know, every I love it when people say, "Don't worry," or you know, don't do that. Or when you go on your ride and do this, and I'm like, you know what? Um, I don't know. I have been married for nearly 30 years. I've got three kids. I've had a whole lot of stuff going on in life like everybody else does. It's hard to do that. Some people are more capable of it for sure. But, um, you know, I, I've always been a little bit more of a anxiety driven person, which has been useful too. But, um, I think that's, I think that's good advice to try not to worry, but it's also hard to do.
2: It is. It is because we feed off the worry and it's learning not mm-hmm. to do, and it's a control thing. You know, if I worry yeah. about something that hasn't even happened yet, so I can prepare myself, <sighs> it's, I'm just trying to control the future, which is
1: right. not pointless. not going to happen. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But don't you feel like the older you get, the more you, I mean, you realize it, of course you can hear it, but truly making it permeate in your brain where you truly can act on those words and realize I really can stop myself from feeling this way. It takes a lot of surrender.
2: I, for me, it's been just surrendering.
1: Yeah. And knowing
2: that whatever happens, I will somehow make my way through it.
1: Yeah. Because it, well, again, because of all this time you've been on the planet and how many times you have made it through. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of
2: cool. It is. And and maybe um, some good advice is that um, if your horse uh, is telling you that, um, you know, that you're bringing too many worries or drama or whatever to the barn, maybe it's time to get our breed of the show
3: a guinea pig. Yay! <laughs> there we go. You, that is a... Worry free. And we're going to get to free. guinea pigs
4: right after we chat with a certain Pomeranian puppy dog.
3: <laughs>
2: and now it's time to give a shout out and a call to our friendly Pomeranian Hedwig. So we're going to get her on the line and, um, Find out how things are in Pomeranian World.
5: Hello. Hetty. Hi, Hetty. Hattie Tickle. Jennifer? We're all here.
2: How are things in Pomeranian World?
5: Tigger. Well, to be <laughs> saying it's quite hot here and my human servant has to be fired again. Bit of a dinner.
2: Oh. Oh. How come?
5: She went to work like that, to real things, <laughs> and abandoned us for hours, and then she came back all grumpy, and when my sister and I went up to the barn two times to eat cat food and she had to come get us, she was cranky. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Imagine that.
2: Well, Hetty, we have a question for you.
5: And I have answers.
2: I know you do. <laughs> So we were thinking that Pomeranians historically must have been the dogs of royalty. So given the uh, English royal family, which member of the royal family would you like to live with and why? Well, Tigger,
5: obviously you wanted to talk about the current royal family, but I am not going to do that because they're all a bunch of inbred little wasp-nosed weasels. I'm going to go for the (laughs) historical angle on this one. And I think I'm going to shock you by saying that I would like to be the pet of Elizabeth Woodville, the wife of Edward V. Four, Edward Four. He, as you no doubt know, was the king who won the War of the Roses. He and his brothers were the Yorkists, and they galloped down. And the, the story goes that the sun rose behind them as they galloped down to save England from its giant, miserable mess, the Sons of York. Now, it's true that the Duke of Clarence made a small treasonous error and did drown, had to be drowned, that was his chosen form of execution, in a giant barrel of wine, which I love as a mode of execution, and I keep in mind always. <laughs> um, and then... So Edward is coming back from the war. He's very dirty, very grubby, very tired, already married to someone else. But he sees Elizabeth Woodville. And although she was a widow and relatively poor, he fell in love with her and she came to court and all of her relatives became very upwardly mobile and there was a joke the rivers are rising <laughs> so did because she marry him in society she did yes and it said that her mother was a witch Jaquetta was a witch and she used love magic to ensnare edward for her daughter elizabeth and they had many many daughters many daughters and two sons The sons are famous, you know, they're the little boys who were going to be kings, but their uncle was their lord protector at Regent, and somehow hmm, they disappeared from the tower, oops, gone. And so Richard III became king briefly until 1485 and the Battle of Bosworth, when he was so no longer king, because a Tudor came along, an inbred little Tudor, and up he went and became king, you know him as Henry VII. (laughs)
2: Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. So I would like to know you would like to be the Pomeranian of the wife? Elizabeth Woodville, yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh-huh.
5: Edward Five's wife, Elizabeth Woodville. Okay. Edward four was the great one. Edward Five is the interesting one. Edward six was young and mm-hmm. only made it for a few years after See, Henry un- eight died. Unlike all of those unlike all of those Edwards Hedwig, you are
4: both great and interesting. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm. they, they were interesting are you kidding Edward IV was called the Black Prince he was a fabulous little twisted piece of work I love him
2: I've been in his tomb
5: he tither
2: visited the dead Black Prince <laughs> now that's great <laughs> anyway I was thinking that you would be a great dog for Prince Harry no, you're
5: wrong. <laughs> I want to be the witch's daughter's pet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Hetty. Thanks, thanks for the lesson. And uh, now we know that uh, you will not associate with the current royal family. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> that was very clear. Pretenders to the throne.
5: <laughs> They're not even British.
2: I know, they're German.
5: They're <laughs> German. You don't need more German things.
4: <laughs> and now it's time for the Breed of the Show.
1: So we are at the Breed of the Show segment, and my good co-host, Kigger, had made a great suggestion of doing guinea pigs. And I had never really thought that much about guinea pigs and where they came from having had several in uh, my children's life, I found the whole thing very interesting. They um, are indeed not pigs. (laughs) They're rodents, which I'm sure that most people know. They're actually from South America, not Africa, which I guess was kind of interesting to me. Um, I guess most people thought, you know, Guinea pig, Africa. I get that. Um, But they originated in the Andes of South America. Wow. um, Yeah didn't know that there's so many different types so i'm just this is just more of a generalized type but they have skinny pig texel guinea abyssinian peruvian i mean like so many different types that with different types of coats some are a short coat with different you know um colors they have white and brown and black and or you can have a solid one but they also have wavy coated ones and then the Abyssinian. absinian i'm sure you can imagine kind of a longer coat but they come in different colors, and they can be really quite cute. But some of the background's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this Togo, but they're not naturally found in the wild. Did you ever think about that?
2: No, I didn't. Have they always been domesticated?
1: Yeah, yeah I, from as far as I could see, they've always been domesticated, and um, I, I couldn't really figure out exactly exactly where they originated, and also couldn't find where the name guinea pig came from because, well, or how they came up with it. It um, There's, they also, they're also known as, I'm probably not going to pronounce this uh, uh, properly, but cavi or domestic cavi. And hmm. there's some Latin background to that that goes to little pigs, which is maybe where they came, but they just don't know where guinea pig came from. But they, you know, so they are, they're domestic. And most of the time you'll find them in, you know, in living in cages, like a crate or, they sell guinea pig, obviously cages at PetSmart and those type of things, and they do very they do very well like that. They also do well in larger numbers of guinea pigs, but they don't do really well with other types of rod- rodents like gerbils or hamsters because I guess it increases respiratory issues, which is one of the downfalls of guinea pigs. Um, sure. That you have to be very careful; they can they can get respiratory problems, which. Gets into a little bit of the care of a guinea pig, which is very similar to like a rabbit. Which you would imagine, they you know you want to keep their cages clean with a good sort of um, shaving or, or shaving like you would put in a horse's stall. And you need to change clean it a lot. I mean, they're obviously if they're in there, they're um, doing their business in their in their home every day. So when we had the guinea pigs, we cleaned it out every day. Um, they're super easy to feed. Um, their diet is basically you know. Uh, any type of natural grass is good because they have obviously this cute little rodent piece and they've got to wear them down, but like a Timothy hay or a grass hay. But it's very important that you get a food pellet, which again is based normally at the basis of it is hay. And there's, I think there's some different vitamins and stuff that you can get in them, but because they don't synthesize vitamin C that well, it's very important that you give them the little food pellet. That's going to look probably like an alfalfa cross of some sort. Um, Because they can suffer from scurvy, which is one of the the main things that ends up killing them as pets. So, pretty so important. So, can you not give to, them,
2: like, oranges and lemons and high vitamin C foods? You know, I, foods. Didn't, I,
1: did, I didn't see that. But that's probably good. I mean, I can't see why not. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, can't
2: you see a guinea pig with a little clementine? <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, it would be so cute. Okay, I don't know if you listeners can tell, but Tigger's... Figures on a. I'm dying. To have on a the guinea pig. She's, she's going to get herself a little pig. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they they do like, they do like, they do okay alone, but it sounds like they really like company, which is nice. Yeah, what Australian do, Shepherds count. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, not that type of company. Maybe one. <laughs> so, there should be a limit. Um, but this is sort of interesting, and um, again, um, you can understand the <clears throat> why I'm going to mention this. So if you do decide to get a guinea pig or two, you want to make sure that you get it two males or two females, because they, believe it or not, they mature in three to five weeks. Three to wow. five weeks. Like, guinea pig is born, um, and they're mature, boom. Like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, wait for this. Wait, wait, wait. Females can mature up. Is up to four weeks. Like the four weeks, they can be mature, and they can be like ready to breed in that oh period gosh. of time. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Like mature. So, okay, sitting down, girls, because this is the interesting part. Six to forty-eight hours after they give birth, they can become pregnant again. Oh my God. So, wow. so again, I, and it, yeah, but this is the whole rodent family thing. So. Important fact, you don't want to be breeding guinea pigs, so make sure if you do get to, get, or however many, keep them all the same sex. Um, Good advice. Yeah. Um, So this may be my favorite part of my guinea pig research. They all make noises, and I know you guys have heard them, right, Um, different types of noises, but they actually named some of the noises that they make a bunch of different, and I know this is just going to sign you up, Tigger. I can just see you getting your keys to leave to go get <laughs> yourself anything. But one of the, so I'm just going to give you a couple of names or, of these no, noises they make. One's called a, a week, um, which is that loud noise, which I think we're all pretty familiar with, uh-huh. which is kind of the excitement to eat, which is adorable. They can also make a bubbling or a purring kind of noise, wow. um, which is it enjoyment. Rumbling, um, uh, which is a, more of a dominant thing when they're in a group. Again, make sure you'll get all males, all females Chutting or whining. Um, and that, that would be in a breeding situation where they are being pursued. So we don't want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, and, um, they do the chattering and chirping, and chirping is, sounds very much like a bird, which is a little, um, you don't hear it as, as commonly, but it's more of a stress or discomfort. But I just found it so fascinating how versatile they are, and they really do make good pets. If you get them younger, if they're handled earlier, they really are amenable to being picked up or carried. They will seldom scratch or try to bite. Um, so they're pretty. They're very trainable. In fact, one thing that I read said if the owner it comes into the room and whistles every time they come in, the guinea pig will start to become very vocal and make that weak noise, you know, like weak, 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 because they know that their owner's coming. Isn't that kind of cute?
2: Oh, yeah. Now I want one that yeah. has Chris Rock's voice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's called that that that, that that's called make believe. <laughs> But you could get one and name it, Chris Rock. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Well, if you um, have a
2: guinea pig, let us know. Um, Yeah. And And we want to know if
1: they make the noises.
2: Yeah. And and I love watching um, guinea pig videos on Facebook. I I mean, watching them eat is just a a, a riot. Who could have a bad day when you watch them crunch down on lettuce and veggies. I mean it's just, it's adorable. So let us know <laughs> if you've got a guinea pig and if it has Chris Rock's voice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please let us know.
2: <laughs> so we're now at Critter Nutrition and this segment rather than talking about nutrition Um, I'm going to talk about environmental consciousness, um, specifically the sea otter. For the second year in a row, I've had close encounters in Kachemake Bay, Alaska with sea otters. The guides at the Wilderness Lodge have named me the Otter Whisperer. Gliding around sea otters in a kayak, holding a lens half as long as my arm, should be disturbing to these endangered animals. But for some reason, the mothers show me their babies. One otter went to great lengths to groom himself in front of me, floating so close to the kayak I could have touched him. Others simply mugged for the camera, while one particularly old gentleman otter showed me his broken tooth and how he cleans it. I saw my first ever otter taxi a band of 50 sea otters, some of which caught rods on other otters as they moved across the waters of a cove. Make no mistake, that otter tail is so powerful, they can power through the water at speed like the otter equivalent of a motorboat. One guide said, I've grown up here and never been so close to any sea otter as when you were in the kayak with me. They usually dive deep to stay away from humans. I don't think I possess any special otter juju. But I do think a lifetime spent with horses and dogs has taught me how to be respectful and non-threatening, how to be sensitive and appreciative of other essences, be it horse, dog, cat, chicken, or otter. In Ketchum Bay, Alaska, there are approximately 5,000 sea otters hunted to near extinction in the 19th century. The species was first protected with the signing of the International Fur Seal Treaty in 1911 and later in the 1970s under the Endangered Species and Marine Mammal Protection Act. Worldwide, there used to be sea otter populations of more than a million before the fur trade decimated their numbers. Today, there are approximately 106,000 sea otters in the world. Otters are the heaviest members of the weasel family. They do not have blubber to keep them warm. Sea otters have the densest fur in the animal kingdom, ranging from 250,000 to a million hairs per square inch, which insulates them. Sea otters are critical to the ocean environment. They help maintain the balance of nearshore kelp ecosystems. Without sea otters, the undersea animals they eat, such as urchins, mussels, clams, and crabs, would devour the kelp forests. Kelp also plays an important role in capturing carbon in coastal ecosystems. Because kelp grows from the bottom of the seafloor to the surface, otters will wrap themselves in kelp to keep themselves from drifting in strong currents. Otter males can live 10 to 15 years while females live between 15 and 20 years. The northern sea otters who make their home in Alaska waters can weigh as much as 100 pounds. The threats to sea otters include more frequent shark attacks because the sea otters are expanding their range in search of food. Conflict with hu- humans, often in the form of entrapment in fishing nets and traps, pose a major threat to sea otter populations. Land pollution that runs off into the ocean contaminates the sea otters' habitat, jeopardizing their food sources. Scientists have reported the accumulation in sea otters of man-made chemicals such as PCBs and PBDEs, which are polybrominated diphenyl ethers, which is a flame retardant used in furniture and electronics at some of the highest levels ever seen in marine mammals. Well, what do sea otters have to do with horses? Both are part of the intricate web of ocean and land. Grazing animals are as important to grasses and open land as sea otters are to kelp forests and bays. The food both species eat needs to be free of man-made contaminants. A study presented at the Sailor Sea Ecosystem Conference April 2018 measured the Puget Sound food eaten by captive sea otters in the Seattle Aquarium and showed that the mussels had high glyphosate, and surf clams had high pyrethroid, which is a popular insecticide values. A crowd-funded study compiled by the Ramazzini Institute in Italy, along with Bologna, Bologna, Bologna University, the Italian National Health Institute, George Washington State University, and the ICANN School of Medicine, observed the health effects of glyphosate on Sprague Dolly rats, which had been dosed with the U.S. EPA-determined safe limit of 1.75 micrograms per kilo of body weight. The authors reported that glyphosate can have disrupting effects on sexual development, genes, and beneficial gut bacteria at doses considered safe. This study is published in Environmental Health, May 2018. Of course, horses aren't rats, yet they are continually exposed to herbicides like Roundup in their hay pastures and feeds, especially feeds containing non-organic ingredients such as beet pulp, alfalfa, soy, wheat, flax, oats, peas, canola, and sunflower seeds. The fact that climate change has become a political hot button distracts from the real issue. The environmental impacts of a changing climate are real, they are here, and they are now. Scientists at the Gulf of Maine Research Institute observed that over the past three years, the waters in Maine have warmed at a rate three times the global average. High temperatures in the cold Maine waters affect lobsters and whales. Federal wildlife officials in Alaska are documenting die-off of Alaskan seabirds from the Bering Strait to the Gulf of Alaska that they think is connected to a trend in warming ocean water, which is affecting the birds' food supply of fish. In essence, the seabirds are dying of starvation. Will we lose the sea otters too? We produce 300 million tons of plastic per year. More than 8 million tons are dumped into our oceans or carried by rivers, floods, and runoffs from landfills. More than 500 billion plastic bags are used worldwide, and more than 1 million bags are used every minute. In the last 10 years, we have produced more plastic than during the whole of the last century worldwide only 9% of plastic is recycled according to the national geographic quote plastic takes more than 400 years to degrade 79% of plastics are accumulating in landfills or as litter end quote if present trends continue by 2050 there will be 12 billion metric tons of plastic in landfills that amount is Thirty-five thousand times as heavy as the Empire State Building, according to the World Economic Forum. Quote: In 1974, the average per capita plastic consumption was two kilograms. Today, this has increased to 43 kilograms per person. End quote. If we reduce our use of plastic straws, plastic bags, single-use plastic items, including cups, plates, and cutlery, we can start to reduce the amount of plastic in the landfills and the ocean. There are some wonderful and simple alternatives, plates and utensils and cups made from bamboo and pressed leaves, reusable glass coffee cups with heat protectors we can use at Starbucks, glass and metal straws, reusable shopping bags, flip-flops. Flip-flops are worn by over 3 billion people, and the lifespan of these plastic thongs is approximately two years. 90 tons of flip-flops wash up on the East African coast, mostly from Asia, India, China, and Kenya. A group of artists in Kenya is harvesting the flip-flops that wash up onto beaches and creating memorable animal sculptures out of them called Flip the Flop. Pete Seeger's song of changes written in the late 1950s was Turn, Turn, Turn. It was immortalized by the birds in 1965 and has an important resonance in 2018. Quote, a time to build up, a time to break down, a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. The animals we share our lives with, be they domesticated or the wild creatures we may only glimpse from time to time or see in pictures and on TV, are depending on us to repair that which we have damaged, to in essence gather stones together, to stop laying waste to ocean and land, to be whispers for all life on the planet. There is a season, turn, 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 and the season is now. Today, our reading is going to be the, from the story of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting, um, and we're reading from the second chapter, which is animal language. It happened one day that the doctor was sitting in his kitchen talking with the
3: cat's meat man, who had come to see him with a stomach ache. Why don't you give up being a people's doctor and become an animal doctor, asked the cat's meat man. The parrot,
2: Polynesia, was sitting in the window looking out at the rain and singing a sailor song to herself. She stopped singing and started
1: to listen. You see, doctor, the cat's meat man went on, you know all about animals, much more than what these here vets do. That book you wrote about cats? Well, it's wonderful. That's all that can be said. Wonderful. You might have been a cat yourself. You know the way they think. And listen, You make a lot of money, doctoring animals. Do you know that? You see, I'd send the old woman who had sick cats or dogs to you. And if they didn't get sick fast enough, I'd put something in the meat. I'd sell them and make them sick,
3: you see. Oh, no, said the doctor quickly. You mustn't do that. That wouldn't be right. Oh, I didn't mean real sick. Answer the cat's meat
1: man. Just a little something to make them droopy-like was what I was referenced to. But as you say, maybe... Ain't quite fair on the animals. But they'll get sick anyway, because the old woman always gives them too much to eat. And look, all the farmers round about who had lame horses and weak lambs, they'd come be an animal doctor.
2: When the cat's meat man had gone, the parrot flew off the window onto the doctor's table and said, That man's got sense. That's what you ought to do. Be an
5: animal doctor. Give the silly people up. If they haven't been enough to see you're the best doctor in the world, Take care of animals instead. They'll soon find it out. Be an animal doctor.
2: Oh, there are plenty of animal doctors, said John Doodlittle, putting the flower pots outside on the windowsill to get the rain.
5: Yes, there are plenty,
2: said Polynesia.
5: But none of them are any good at all. Now listen, doctor, and I'll tell you something. Did you know that animals can talk?
4: I knew that parrots can
2: talk said the doctor.
5: Oh, we parents can talk in two languages, people's language and bird language,
2: said Polynesia proudly.
5: If I say to cracker, you understand me, but hear this. cock Good
4: gracious, cried the doctor.
5: What does that mean? That means, is
4: the porridge hot yet? In bird language. My, you don't say so said the doctor. You never talked that way to me before.
2: What would have been the good? Said Polynesia, dusting some cracker crumbs off her left wing.
5: You wouldn't have understood me if I had.
2: Tell me some more, said the doctor, all excited, and he rushed over to the dresser drawer and came back with the butcher's book and my pencil.
4: Now, don't go too fast. I'll write it down. This is interesting. Very interesting. Something quite new. Give me the bird's ABCs first slowly now
2: so that was the way the doctor came to know that animals had a language of their own and could talk to one another and all that afternoon while it was raining polynesia sat on the kitchen table giving him bird words to put down in the book at tea time when the dog jip came in the parrot said to the doctor
4: he's talking to you looks to me as though he were scratching his
2: ear said the doctor But animals don't always speak with their mouths, said the parrot in a high voice, raising her eyebrows. They talk with their
5: ears, their feet, with their tails, with everything. Sometimes they don't want to make a noise. Do you see now the way he's twitching up one side of his nose? What does that mean?
2: Asked the doctor.
5: That means, can't you see that it has stopped raining?
2: Polynesia answered. He is asking you a question. Dogs nearly always use their noses for asking questions. After a while with the parrot's help, the doctor got to learn the language of the animals so well he could talk to to them himself and understand everything they said. Then he gave up being a people's doctor altogether. As soon as the cat's meat man had told everyone that John Doolittle was going to become an animal doctor, old ladies began to bring him their pet pugs and Oodles, who had eaten too much cake, and farmers came many miles to show him sick cows and sheep. One day a plow horse was brought to him, and the poor thing was terribly glad to find a man who could talk in horse language. You no, know, doctor, said the horse,
6: that vet over the hill knows nothing at all. He has been treating me for six weeks now for spavins. What I need is spectacles. I am going blind in one eye. There's no reason why horses shouldn't wear glasses the same as people. But that stupid man over the hill never even looked at my eyes. He kept on giving me big pills. I tried to tell him, but he couldn't understand a word of horse language. What I need is spectacles. Of course, of course, said the doctor.
4: I'll get you some at once.
6: I would like a pair like yours, said the horse. Only green. They'll keep the sun out of my eyes while I'm plowing the 50-acre
2: field. Certainly, said the doctor.
6: Green ones you shall have. You know the trouble is,
2: sir, said the plow horse as the doctor opened the front door to let him out.
6: The trouble is that anybody thinks he can doctor animals just because the animals don't complain. As a matter of fact, it takes a much cleverer man to be a really good animal doctor than it does to be a good people doctor. My farmer's boy thinks he knows all about horses. I wish you could see him. His face is so fat he looks as though he had no eyes. And he has got as much brain as a potato bug. He tried to put a mustard plaster on me last week. Where did he put
2: it? Asked the doctor.
6: No, he didn't put it
2: anywhere on me, said the horse.
6: He only tried to. I kicked him into the duck pond. Well, well,
2: said the doctor.
6: I'm a pretty quiet
2: creature as a rule, said the horse.
6: Very patient with people. Don't make much fuss. But it was bad enough to have that vet giving me the wrong medicine. And when that red-faced booby started to monkey with me, I just couldn't bear it anymore. Did you hurt the boy much?
2: Asked the doctor. No. Said the horse. Oh, no. I kicked
6: him in the right place. The vet's looking after him now. When will my glasses be ready?
4: I'll have them for you next week.
2: Said the doctor.
4: Come again Tuesday.
2: Good morning. Then John Doodle got a fine big pair of green spectacles, and the plow horse stopped going blind in one eye and could see as well as ever. And soon it became a common sight to see farm animals wearing glasses in the country around Puddleby, and a blind horse was a thing unknown. And so it was all the other animals that were brought to him. As soon as they found that he could talk their language, they told him where the pain was and how they felt, and of course it was easy for him to cure them. Now, all these animals went back and told their brothers and friends that there was a doctor in the little house with the big garden who really was a doctor. And whenever any creatures got sick, not only horses and cows and dogs, but all the little things of the field, like harvest mice and water voles, badgers and bats, they came at once to his house and on the, on the edge of town so that his garden was nearly always crowded with animals trying to get in to see him. There were so many that came, he had to have special doors made for the different kinds. He rode horses over the front door, cows over the side door, and sheep on the kitchen door. Each kind of animal had a separate door. Even the mice had a tiny tunnel made for them into the cellar, where they waited patiently in rows for the doctor to come round to see them. And so, in a few years' time, every living thing for miles and miles got to know about John Doolittle, M.D., And the birds who flew to other countries in the winter told the animals in foreign lands of the wonderful doctor of Puddleby-on-the-Marsh, who could understand their talk and help them in their troubles. In this way, he became famous among the animals all over the world, better known even than he had been among the folks of the West Country. And he was happy and he liked his life very much. One afternoon, when the doctor was busy writing in a book, Polynesia sat in the window, as she nearly always did, looking out at the leaves blowing around in the garden. Presently, she laughed aloud. What is it, Polynesia? (laughs) Asked the doctor looking up from his book. I was just thinking. Said the parrot, and she went on looking at the leaves.
5: What were you thinking? I was thinking about people.
2: Said Polynesia.
5: People make me sick. They think are so wonderful. The world has been going on now for thousands of years, hasn't it? And the only thing in animal language that people have learned to understand is that when a dog wags his tail, he means, I'm glad. It's funny, isn't it? You are the very first man to talk like us. Or oh, sometimes people annoy me dreadfully. Such airs they put on talking about the dumb animals. Dumb why I knew of a car once who could say good morning in seven different ways with at once opening his mouth. He could talk every language and Greek. An old professor with a gray beard bought him, but he didn't stay. He said the old man didn't talk Greek right, and he couldn't stand listening to him teach the language wrong. I often wonder what's become of him. That bird knew more geography than people will ever know. People Golly, I suppose if people ever learn to fly, like any common sense sparrow, we shall never hear the end of it.
4: You're a wise old bird, said the doctor. How old are you, really? I know that parrots and elephants sometimes live to be very, very old. I can never be quite
2: sure of my age, said Polynesia. It's
5: either 183 or 182, but I know that when I first came here from Africa, King Charles was still hiding in the oak tree, because I saw him. He looked scared to death.
2: (laughs) And that is the end of Chapter 2 of The Adventures of Dr.
3: Doolittle. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Wrap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. (laughs)